The home that you worked so hard to purchase or the business that you dreamed of owning deserve to shine. LDJ Cleaning Professionals specialize in commercial, residential, and disinfecting cleaning. We've served Aurora and the Quad Counties with over 20 years experience in the professional cleaning industry. Whether you're looking for window cleaning, disinfecting, or general office cleaning, we offer it all and more. Hire a true professional and call us today at 630-291-5435 or visit our website at www.ldjcleaning.com. We help you protect your investment. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, Aurora. The time is now 7.48 a.m. and you are listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. It's Wednesday the 30th. We've got one more day to go before 2021, y'all. So hope that you guys are ready. We're going to take it to a brand new year and uh, we wish you the very best. We'd like to say thanks to everybody who's been a listener, supporter, and a fan of the show. We've got a lot more coming for you guys and we are dedicated to you. So, We've got a great interview for you guys today. We have with us here in the studio Miss Norma Peterson uh, of Document the Abuse, the executive director of the Document Abuse Group. So shout out to Norma. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So before we get into that, uh, got some news to tell you guys about, let you know what's happening out there and everything. Uh, don't forget to register your business by tomorrow. Tomorrow is the deadline, y'all. We've been telling you guys uh, about the general business registration uh, act that the city passed. All businesses have to register uh, working in the city by tomorrow, the 31st. And this is very big and very important, especially in the time of COVID. Okay, so what that does is that... Uh, updates resources and information for employees and other businesses here in the city. Uh, By registering your business, you're contributing to the continued success and safety of patrons, fellow businesses, and your employees. It's very fast to do. We posted it yesterday on our Facebook again and also on the IG, so please make sure that you guys get that done. Aurora Township coming up. Don't forget, February is the primaries with the election on April 6th. Uh, Get to know the candidates. Get to know what the Aurora Township does and, uh, you know, its history. Township government is one of the earliest forms of government in uh, America. And Aurora Township dates back to, I believe, 1850. Um, So, yeah, make sure you check that out. We interviewed Alex Arroyo running for Aurora Township Supervisor. Also, Bonnie Kunkel and Sherry Spears both running for trustee. Shouts out to all of them and good luck. The Aurora Public Library has a lot of stuff coming up next year. Just some of the activities are uh, Wednesday the 13th at 6 p.m., Citizenship and Recent Updates on Immigration. An immigrant legal services specialist is going to be talking and presenting information about the process. That person is from World excuse me, World Relief Chicago Lamb. Uh, Registration is required for that. The 20th, Wednesday, 6 p.m., contacting your elected officials. Following up MLK's day of service, political staffer Lily Rocha will cover best practices to contact local, state, and federal representatives. Thursday, the 21st, 7 p.m., Civic Education Series, County Boards, working with the League of Women Voters of Aurora. Uh, This is for adults and teens. Registration is required, and you can learn about the importance of county boards. Uh, 
February and March initiatives are um, to be spoken of as well, sponsored by the Aurora Public Library. They're significant because they highlight culture. So Friday the 12th, February 12th at 10 a.m., Tai Chi for the Chinese New Year. Uh, Registration is required. It's open to adults. Tuesday, February 16th at 7 p.m., Growing Your Business with LGBTQ-Friendly Practices. Uh, That's going to be in conjunction with the Fairness and Equality for a Better, excuse me, that's part of the Fairness and Equality for a Better Aurora series, and it's in conjunction with the Aurora Human Relations Commission. Registration is required for that. And Thursday, March 18th at 7 p.m., Civic Education Township government and that as well is going to be uh, in conjunction with the league of women voters so shout out to the league of women voters all right current temperature out there right now is 29 degrees this early morning uh the high today looks to be about 30 degrees and that should be reached at about noon um and yeah it looks like it's going to be an otherwise cold day tomorrow there's some sun and it snowed a lot yesterday now There's an 80% chance of snow on Friday with a high of 37 degrees, and the weekend looks to be mixed with with cold and a little bit of sun. So that's the weather report for you guys here on Good Morning Aurora. Uh, There's a lot of different things that are taking place, and I want to give a shout-out to a lot of the small businesses right now uh, here operating in the city of Aurora. A lot of them have uh, had hard times. due to the pandemic but uh they are still getting along and doing their very best i got tacos last night from tacalitlan so uh shout out to tacalitlan they were good okie dokie christmas tree recycling is going on from january 4th to the 15th of next year so very soon Uh, Make sure that your Christmas tree is ready to go and be picked up. No sticker is required for uh, collection. So to be properly properly recycled, trees must be free of plastic bags, all decorations, and tree stands. And they got to be out there by 6 a.m. on normal collection day. All right. Winter weather advisory is going on through um, today. It should end, I think, this evening. Snow is accumulating, and there may be more snow. I hope there is more snow. I really don't care. I want it to snow. I I want life. I want it all. Give me all the snow you got. Um, And not only that, the roadways are hazardous. Please drive safe. There's not ice or there's not salt down in a couple of places, so it is kind of slick. Keep your eyes on the road. Don't be texting and driving. Stay safe and make sure that you guys get home, get to work, or uh, your other fun activities that you do in the daytime. Make sure that you get to those safely. All right. And um, other than that, I want to say shop local. We have T-shirts now available. Hey. Uh, Hoodies, sweaters coming soon. You can go to Cottonseed Creative Exchange and uh, check out some of the merch and items that we got. They are exclusively there. And thank you for everyone who supports the show. All right. Uh, and with that, that is the news. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us. We have Norma sure. Peterson uh, on the show today. Good to see you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, so for the viewers and the listeners and those who are unfamiliar with who you are, let us know who you are, where you're from. My name is Norma Peterson. I... Um, I'm from Aurora, Illinois, born and bred, and I'm 
stony area. I do a lot of work in here. Nice. And we're all happy with where I'm at. Are you an east sider or a west sider? People always ask that. Or I'm an east sider. Okay. I'm a, a, a tomcat. This this show has had an abundance of east siders for some reason. So every time a west sider comes on, they're um, you know they like to shout out and be proud. Kind of thing. <laughs> That's um, all right. They can do that. Yeah. So Aurora's gone through a lot of changes over the years. Yes. Um, from your time growing up in Aurora and everything like that, what are some of the most significant changes you've seen? You know, when I was growing up, we used to take the bus to come downtown and walk around because you had your Kreskis, and it was a, a cool place for you Heard to come. Oh Kresge. yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it was the the place to go when you were looking for something to do. You mm -hmm. didn't want to go to the mall, but you needed something to do. And then for a long time, our downtown area wasn't a go-to spot. It seemed like it, it went through a rough patch. Mm -hmm. And then probably in the last 10 or 15 years i've really seen a resurgence in okay. the interest in downtown aurora and the things that mayor weisner did the things right. that mayor urban is doing to you know pull us farther and farther into uh, a more technical infrastructure here in aurora right to help that along i mean it's i'm so proud of where i come from and and the ambiance that aurora gives people yeah, even in the little bit of time that I've been in the city and everything, I've noticed like leaps and bounds changes, even in the downtown. I remember when there was no River Edge Park. Right. Now you got River Edge. I mean, Kresge's is, is before my time and everything. Oh, yeah. uh, is that before the mall, the Fox Valley Mall? Yeah, it okay. would have been right about the same time. I mean, that this as the mall was pulling more traffic. Right. That's when you started to see, you know, a lot of these shops downtown either close or struggle immensely because all the the mall was pulling a lot of the traffic that would have been down here shopping. So that's what so it was. So that's I see. Uh, from my viewpoint, that's right. kind of what I saw was the mall pulled a lot of your mom and pop traffic that would have been down here shopping, right. you know, and and pulled it all out there, and then as people we're starting to see that more investment was being made in downtown Aurora. Then they started to see, okay, there's more businesses down here. Maybe we'll make a, a comeback here. And then even during this time of the pandemic, yeah, what you're getting is a resurgence, I think, in interest in your smaller businesses in right. supporting because these are your neighbors. These are your friends. These are your relatives. These are the people that are running these small businesses. Right. The best that we can do to support Aurora is come shop downtown. Come and see the very cool stuff that keeps popping up. I mean, every time you turn around, there's a neat little shop, you know, coming up or people investing in, in our city, you know, and a lot of times it's people that have left Aurora and then came back. Right, You know, right. and that's what's so cool to see. There's still that pull to come back and do what you can do for the community. I felt even though that there is a pandemic going on, like the city has at least had even, a, it's it's had a fighting spirit though even. Like it's been like, things have been going along, businesses have been opening up, you know, the mayor's with the bell. Right. Hit, you know, like there's still been some bell dings. So right. I, I'm kind of, I've been optimistic this whole time. I have too, I mean, you're still seeing openings, you know, yeah. so what we can do as citizens, as just, you know, uh, trying to help out your neighbor during these difficult times is shop local. Shop local, y'all. Shop local. Um, growing up, what impact did your dad have in your life? Oh, my dad was a huge impact on my life. My dad was a very hardworking man. I mean, um, 
I saw him change jobs, get better with each one, you know, um, what he provided for us. I mean, they gave us a very uh, a wonderful education, um, went to Our Lady of Good Counsel, so went to a, a private school. Yeah. And it really set the tone for my education. I feel like I got an excellent education, you know, and they, my mom and my dad both struggled very hard to make sure that we got what we needed from our education and in doing so really helped later on in my life to, uh, in some of the work that I did. And my dad, like I said, was just, he was a very easygoing guy, fun to be around. I miss him terribly. Yeah. But I still feel his presence quite often in my you know, I hear a whistle, my dad was a whistler. Um, it's twenty twenty and we've noticed changes in ourselves as individuals, changes in the city that we live in and changes with our neighbors. Um, you know, four years ago there was no pandemic, now we're in the time of a pandemic. What has been one of the most significant uh you know, changes in your life in the time of COVID? I do work with um, domestic violence victims, and not so much directly as providing them a um, an avenue to tell their stories with them. What I'm seeing, unfortunately, with the numbers mm -hmm. is during this pandemic is that it, it's increasing. Right. And unfortunately, because everybody is stuck inside, right. the uh, amount of help that is available to these victims of these various um, like domestic violence, um, just violence in general, uh, things like that, that um, it's exponentially unfolding. And to try to get to these people is a little bit more difficult to let them know that there are still resources and more and more resources are becoming available. Right. And that these uh, entities or organizations are doing their best to try to provide as much as they can for people who are struggling and so many people are struggling right now. So many people, uh, sadly enough, going to work, leaving the house in the morning, having that daily routine was freeing them from some of those household abuses and now that's not happening. So they are right. stuck in the house, so, so on the one hand they're harder to reach and at the same time they don't have that uh, you know, ability eight, nine right. hour window of not being or being away from the abuser right so now what you have is this unfortunately a um, percentage is going up of incidents happening and so that's unfortunate that you know during these times what you get is magnification sometimes of the things that do go wrong and making sure that people are aware that People are still out there trying to do what they can to be of some help, to right. try to provide resources. You know, you see it when the city is running their pop-up pantries. Right. You know, there's food instability in, in the city right now. That's just phenomenal in terms of its growth. And it's like you wouldn't think that there would be that many people struggling, but yet there they are. Right. And unfortunately, that's due to the pandemic. So seeing that there are resources out there, okay, they're doing a pop-up pantry oh my gosh, I got a way to get out or I have a way to at least take this component and stabilize it. So, you know, it, along with food instability, you know, uh, financial instability, home instability, and then you top off, you know, any kind of, a, of um, domestic violence or, or 
anything of that nature along to it. And I mean, what you have is overwhelming to a lot of people. So that's why we need to make sure that we're letting people know that are in these situations, there is help out there for them. Um, and we're going to talk. We're going to talk uh, way more in depth about uh, document the abuse um, uh, shortly here. But I want to get a sense from you of what we're talking about in regards to uh, you know the wellness about people being you know abused or perhaps not being abused in Kane County and Aurora area. Is it high? Has it been high historically? What have the numbers historically been? Historically, like? been. I mean, you're, you've always got a certain percentage. Um, I'm sure that if you talk to Michelle Meyer from um, Mutual Ground Breaking Free, you'll see that their numbers are going up, especially during these times. They're going up. I know that I'm seeing uh, a lot more activity with the work that I do mm -hmm. during these times. So it's in, in, in King County. I mean, when you read the patch or you read the Beacon News, you're starting to read more and more about domestic incidents. Thank you. There you are. Yeah, you, you see more about domestic incidents coming, you know, forward and reading that someone was shot, mm -hmm. someone was hurt, someone was being chased in a car. And now you're actually seeing a lot of more of these incidents in the paper. So, I mean, you're even seeing evidence of it. So. It, even if you look back and go, okay, at the beginning of this pandemic, I don't remember reading this much about domestic incidents. And now all of a sudden that magnification, because people are stuck inside, because there is the financial instability, because there is the housing instability, mm -hmm. what it's doing is it's just raising that to the surface because now what you've got is all these worries and all these causes that people will use in order to um, use violence. They'll say, well, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I can't provide. I can't, you know, we don't know if we're going to be here next week. I don't know if I still have a job. So all those stresses, all those stresses, they start to build up. So that's where you get, unfortunately, this unfolding of a domestic violence crisis. Right. And even in, in King County, you can look at King County, DuPage County, Cook County. I mean, it seems like every time you turn around on the news, there is something that someone was shot, someone was killed, some, you know, murder-suicide. Right. You're seeing it, I mean, just all over. And, and everywhere else, it's happening here, too. All right. Um, I'm, when I read those, some of those incidents and everything like that, uh, I'm taken aback by that sometimes. You read the street names on these streets, and there are streets that you know, streets that you've seen, and they're very close, literally your neighbors in that certain aspects. Uh, it always seems like abuse has always been something that happens in other families. I think a lot of families believe that it's not, it's not my family, you know, or they um, they'll make rationalizations for their family while thinking that the larger issue is with someone else. Is that true? That is, is that true. What you get is, um, unfortunately, with domestic violence mm -hmm. and anywhere that there is a, a relationship that has a potential for violence, what you get is um, it doesn't matter sexual orientation, your gender, your financial status, you know, your religion, nothing 
is off the table when it comes to domestic violence. And so that's where people think, oh, that only happens to poor people. Or that only happens right. to, you know, um, people that live on this side of yeah. town. That's, you know, that happens in the ghetto. Right, yeah. that happens in the ghetto. Or they don't realize that it is abuse. You have a lot of financial abuse. You have a lot of emotional abuse. So because they're not being hit, there aren't any physicalities to it, people will tend to brush it off and think, I'm not being abused. They right. they sometimes don't even recognize the symptoms of it because it's not an actual physical act. But yet, in the categories that it can be, anytime that you know someone can, in some way, make you feel less than yourself, that um, is in some way managing your life, how you spend it, who you spend it with, things of that nature. Mm. You know, people don't realize the wide categories that uh, domestic and intimate partner violence has. So there's a lot of different components to it. So people aren't recognizing it. So they're thinking, that's not my family. Or they may see, you know, their sister in a relationship where their brother-in-law is saying, you know what, you don't need to go see your family. Right. Or you don't need to do this. Or there's a sister-in-law who is, you know, uh, telling her husband, well, you don't need to go there. Right. You don't need to go see your, your friends. You don't, you know, and not even realizing the small little incidents that start to, as you look at them, now make a situation that you didn't even realize. So now that's where um, people recognizing what falls under those categories mm -hmm. of abuse, you know, then you're, you're more likely to either recognize it in your own family or see it amongst your friends or maybe do a better job recognizing that this may be occurring and talking to someone and going, are you sure you're okay? You know, uh, is there anything I can do for you? What, what sometimes is more prevalent? A domineering and destructive individual or a person just not able to identify that in that individual and, well, and react to it and, more than and likely, take care of themselves. What you'll get a lot of times in, in incidents like this is either a background where maybe they grew up in a home that was had abuse in it and they just thought that this is just the way things are. And that's what you get a lot in these um, incidents or, or where you have somebody who's dealing with it. Well, <clears throat> when I was growing up, you know, my mom and dad would argue and they would mm -hmm. throw things so they don't think anything of it. Right. That is not a, for them, that is not an abusive situation. Right. That's the way they grew up. So a lot of times it's not recognizing them, those signals or those incidents as being abuse. They think that's just the way I grew up. Or, unfortunately, what we do get in, in a religious aspect, you know, to add that to it, is... Uh, you know, well, that's just, you know, you subjecting yourself to the will of your husband or to the will of the church. You know, the church will come along and go, you know, you being together is more important than, you know, you being apart. So whatever the situation is that you're together with, we'll just deal with it. Not recognizing abuse and instead thinking in terms of uh, we can justify this behavior through the Bible. Or we can justify this through religion. I went to a, I went to a Catholic school in my early days. I'm familiar with families 
I've met many families in my life where, sadly, the occasional slap from a husband is worse than a divorce, which you're surely going to hell for. I mean, I, I uh, it's tough to wrap your mind around such a thing. I think it's quite sad, but they, but you're right. That extra layer of non-accountability on top of it does allow that kind of thing to happen. Right, and what you get in, in and again, going back to domestic violence knows no bounds. Doesn't matter what religion you are, you know, and, right. and things like that, and sometimes religion can be used against you because so many of it, uh, so much of the heads of a lot of different religious organizations are men. And yes. What we get is a, sometimes a strict um, understanding from the Bible. It says here you don't divorce, or it says here that you know your husband is the head of the household, or it says here, you know. And so we need to work within these confines. Now, so it's going to take, I believe, a reckoning within some of these religious institutions that they need to come to. And I work with, actually, with, uh, Neil Shorey, who is in um, Nickerville, and he is working with a lot of religious uh, organizations and trying to um, make them realize that, you know, in a lot of ways, what we're doing is helping to, to either not give victims a way to speak because of how religion is dealing with them. Yeah. Or, you know, that... Um, you're making it worse. Right, you're making it worse. Yeah. You know, and, and you're using religion as a part of this. But it, it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of eye-opening, and it's going to take um, various organizations, whether they be religious or Christian, you know, in whatever sure. con concept that they're in, you know, opening their minds to the fact that we have to take a closer look at what's going on in our churches. We have to take a closer look because so many times you read, you know, and even now as uh, churches are being exposed for some of the behaviors that have gone on, but they were let to go on. You right. know, people recognized that this was going on, but they turned a blind eye. Yeah. Or felt like it was just such a large institution that they couldn't do anything or say anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, but what it's going to take is... You know, and during what can be what some of the roughest times, which is this pandemic, what people are going through, but maybe what it does is it gives us more time to take a look at these behaviors that are going on. It has. I think it, it has, has too. I think it's it exposed has. a lot of these behaviors and it's forced people the wall to start. Is crumbling. Yeah. Well, you know, you hate to use the term woke, but a lot more people. I think a lot more people yeah. are getting to the point where they're starting to wake up a little bit yeah. to, wow, I didn't even realize it. And even now what I'm seeing is in work situations because of the pandemic. So either you're working or you're not. And if you're not, you're in a bad situation. But if you are, you're kind of trapped too because now... You've never had any of that time off that everybody else has had. Right. You've been working nonstop. You've been working under COVID conditions. You've been working with a mask on eight to ten hours a day. Right. You've been dealing with people who maybe don't want to wear a mask. You've been dealing with, you know, trying to keep up with 
all that you can do. Your kids are eating right, since. Right, Been off since when? And yeah. you've still got to go to work and maintain a household. And, you know, it's it can be a little crazy out there. And what you've got is some even some workplaces going, well, you're just lucky to have a job. So we need you to do this, this, and this. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true. Yeah, so you're taking on all these additional responsibilities along with your normal job and thinking, I need a break, but how are you going to get one? I need my job. I need my, I need to be able to pay my bills. So sometimes it just, unfortunately, um, makes it ever more difficult to get people to understand that even workplaces can be places of abuse during these periods of time. Right. You know, so we have to watch that that's not happening. So oh, along yeah. with your home, you know, now what I'm seeing is some people having to deal with it at work. The time is now 8.30 a.m. and you are listening to Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. And we are glad to have Norma Peterson, of Document, uh, Executive Director of Document the Abuse. Yes. Uh, so the, let's take a little, yeah. All right. Always. Because it's, it's really good. Mm. Yes. <laughs> the I'm Duncan. a Duncan girl. <laughs> Shouts out to Duncan. All right. Shout out to Duncan. Um, so, uh, so now we'll let's talk. We're gonna talk about document the abuse. Um, it's what it does and what it has yet to do. Uh, tell us how to document the abuse start. Document the abuse started because of what went on in my family. I am the sister-in-law to missing Bolingbrook, Illinois mother, Stacy Peterson, okay. who went missing from her Bolingbrook home uh, October 28, 2007. We are still searching for her. Mm -hmm. We hope to bring her home someday. And she stays in our minds and in our hearts always. Uh, 2007, how old was Stacy when she disappeared? 23. 23 years old. 23 years old. The work that has been done since by document the abuse. How has it been establishing that kind of work missing a family member like Stacy? So when Stacy went missing, there was a domestic violence awareness advocate working in the Chicagoland area by the name of Susan Murphy Milano. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a book that's called um, Time's Up. And she was working in this area. Now when mm -hmm. Stacy went missing. Susan saw this and it brought back memories for her. Now, her dad was a Chicago police officer mm -hmm. who wound up uh, murdering her mother and then killing himself. And he tried to murder her also. But what she saw was the similarities between her father and Drew. Because right. then Drew was out there talking all over the place and... and making appearances and she was seeing all of this now in this book is what's called the evidentiary abuse affidavit or eaa for short and she had it in this book and she was thinking as the information started to come out about kathleen savio mm -hmm. when after stacy went missing they went looking at true's third wife kathleen savio because she passed away very suddenly in a um bathtub incident right so as this as they're starting to get more of their facts together they're seeing what was going on with this third wife so what they did was in looking at this Kathy had sent letters to the state's attorney she had gone to Drew's work 
she had written all these different incidents of violence that he had uh, perpetrated against her. So she had what was basically what we consider now an evidentiary abuse affidavit. She had written down all of her, her documentation. Right. Now, if this had been in, in the format of a, an affidavit, when that coroner's jury got together, her family would have been able to bring this forward and go, look, there's all this information that she told everybody. She even told people, if I die, you need to go and take a look at this guy. He's trying to kill me. Because they right. were in the middle of a very contentious divorce. It was bifurcated, which means they separated the financial from everything else. Mm -hmm. So, the, And he had a lot to lose. Right. And he knew that. And he had threatened her. Right. Now, us being the family, we were not privy to what was going on. We weren't talking to Drew either at this time. Why not? We had had a, a bit of an issue ourselves with him, and so we just Sorry. pulled away. Yeah. You know what? We're not even going to talk to you guys this way. We're not a part of anything. Yeah. Just leave us alone. We're going to do our lives over here, and you do yours over there. Right. And then next thing we know, um, Drew had called to say that uh, Kathy had passed away. And so it, it was then that we started to talk to Drew again and meet Stacy. Right. And things like that, and I wound up being very close to Stacy. But back to how this all got started was Susan saw what went on. Her and I made contact, and I saw the work that she was doing, and it was like, oh my gosh, this needs to get out there. Right. This needs, we need, this is a tool that needs to be in everyone's resource tool chest right. when it comes to you know, being able to give victims the voice that they deserve. This is documenting your abuse, documented in every way possible. And that way, should anything happen to you, there is some way that a loved one can now take this to a detective and go, look, she's missing, she gave me this, if she went missing, to bring this to you. So now in there, because it's an affidavit that has been notarized, can now be brought into court. So what does a proper EAA entail? What's all So this? what's in an, uh, an evidentiary abuse affidavit mm -hmm. is what we're doing is we're asking people, and we did this as a web-based app. So okay. it's not on your phone. It's right. a web-based app. You can get to it through your phone, but it's not an app that somebody can track. Yeah. So that's what we were going for there. So what you do is you go in and you fill out your information, who you are, where you live, mm -hmm. who are your children, you describe who your abuser is, give as much information as you can there. So it's it's you, the, the abused, then you're giving information about your situation and your abuser. Right. And then what you're going to go into is, do they have a medical background? Is there, you know, are they taking medications? Are they, you know, do they own a weapon? Do, you know, what are some of the um, physical, you know, um, attributes we can look at? Tattoo. Tattoos, you know, he has a, a, a scar, she has a mark, right. you know, anything that helps to get that um, description to a very specific person. So this way, when they have to take this to court, or should they have to take this to court, they can say, look, they've got this person described to the T. Right. Then what you're going to do is you're going to write down the incidents that are going on, because a lot of times what victims of abuse don't realize is that they're so busy living their day-to-day -day 
that they don't see it for the collective. So now you're starting to write down, okay, on October 5th, um, she pushed me up against the wall and she threatened me. Okay, so you've got that incident in there. Now let's say that what they happen to do is it goes very up and down. There's a incident and then they're real good for a little bit and then something else will trigger and now there's another incident. <clears throat> he took my car keys away and he won't let me drive anywhere. She won't let me go see my family. She threw a, a glass at me. Right. She threatened to kill herself if I left. You know, so what you do is you start to write all these incidents down and sometimes it's in looking at the collective right. when you're starting to write all these down and you go, oh shit, what have I been doing? How, how did how did this happen to me? So a lot of times it's like a, um, a sand pit. You're slowly sinking and you don't even realize that now you're to your knees and you're in the situation and it's like, this was not what I want for myself. This isn't what I want for my children. Right. This is not. This is not right. So in doing so, sometimes what it does is it gives you the impetus to then look for the resources that are going to help get you out of this situation. And going going back to this Times Up book, this Times Up book walks you through all the steps that you would need in order to safely leave an abusive relationship. You don't want to let that person know, right. but you want to lay that groundwork. And that EAA sometimes will help like, help you to lay that groundwork. It makes you take a look at what, what is going on. Mm -hmm. It gives you a way to write it all down, and, and it can be kept for you. And this way, like, it takes an average of five to seven times for an abuse victim to leave. So... Five to seven times. Five to seven times before they will actually leave a situation. Okay. So there, that means that collectively there are five incidents, five to seven incidents that yeah. are going to happen, and you know that each one is getting worse. So now, if you've got all those written down, and something, God forbid, happens to you, like it did with Stacy, and like it did with Kathy, you make a copy of your affidavit, you give it to your best friend, you give it to your mother, you give it to your lawyer, you give it to somebody. We have a copy on Document the Abuse that will only be given out under a uh, subpoena. Mm -hmm. So somebody come, you know, a, a law organization comes with a subpoena because there's been a, an incident or there's been something that's happened. Right. Now you can get that from me. But what I'd like you to do is make a copy of this and give it to somebody else you know and love and can trust, you know, or put it in a, a lockbox somewhere, you know, so have it. And what's nice about the web-based app is you can always go back and add because a lot of times you're not leaving that first time. So there's going to be other incidents. So you can always add to the affidavit. Um, is the law or the... Um you know, the system, the laws on books, are they adequate and effective to help those who have This been is what we're gonna, we, you know, there's gonna be some pushback. You know, the whole, uh, I wanna be able to confront my accuser. Sure. You know, so there is that. But what's within the law is also forfeiture by wrongdoing. So let's say, as in the incident of my brother, where he had a lot to lose. There was, he was going to lose part of his house, he was going to lose part of his pension, he was going to lose part of his business. He, there was so many things that he was going to give up. So now it's almost like they used to use for the gangs. 
uh, the mafia when they would say, okay, if I kill that guy, he can't testify against me, so now I get to walk because I can't confront my accuser. Right. Well, they came up with forfeiture by wrongdoing. If in eliminating that witness, it means that you're going to get something, that's forfeiture by wrongdoing. You have made that person unavailable to testify against you. Right. Now that allows the affidavit to then come in. There are, there's going, it's not going to be an easy go. Of course. But it's doable. Right. And if we have to, you know, if that's what needs to be done is to maybe change a few things, you know, I'm not quite sure what laws need to be changed. Right. You know, but if that's the case, then I would work with the lawmakers that are available to me. You know, I've, I've worked in Aurora and within the community for the last 10 years. So I have wonderful relationships with, you know, quite a few of our um, uh, senators and state representatives and uh, here locally so that I can work with, actually I'm going to be working with Ron Hain from the King County. Yeah, we talked with Sheriff, some names beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> shout Love, out. Yeah, shout, shout out to Ron. Yeah, we got some of the same yeah, friends already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Him and Jamie. I'll yep. be working with Jamie Mosser at the King County State's Attorney's Office right. so that we can make this a part of their protocol. So now what we want to do is we, I want to see this grow to a place where this resource is literally used across the United States and across the world. We've actually, even before I came on, on board as the executive director, I was made aware that this was used, an affidavit was used in... I believe it was Venezuela because of Stacy's case. They had a recording of someone who had um, had gone missing and then was found dead later. And they had a, a recording of a phone call that basically said, "Well, it was that was uh, doing what they were doing to her?" And it was found. So they were able to bring that into court while all this was going on in Stacy's case. And this was in another country. So this can be available not just here, but in other countries. Like in Canada, they have coercive control as a part of their uh, domestic violence. And I'd like to see the United States take that right. as a part. It's not right now. There's, there's a lot of pushback on it. You know, there's pushback on, you know, if you're found guilty of a crime of domestic violence, should you be able to carry a gun after that? I, you know, there's a lot of pushback on, you know, Second Amendment rights. Um, what do you think about that? Um, I think that if you have... That's a really hard one. I mean, I believe in everybody's right to, you know, mm -hmm. have a weapon for their own self-protection. I think when you violate someone else's feeling of safety mm -hmm. because of that, because of your ability to have a gun, I think that in some respects, maybe there should be something in place there. I agree with you. Yeah. That question, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I like that rabbit hole. No, that question, if you are a person who owns a firearm and you're a normal Joe Schmo. I got no you, issues. No issues. You beat your wife up, drag her down the stairs, all this other kind of crazy stuff. I think your firearm uh, should be restricted for a period of time. If you are not a firearm owner, but you've got 
documented every time you've been to jail is a docu is a uh, domestic thing violence incident is a domestic violence incident then no i don't think you should be allowed i think yeah on a fire I, I you know or or a restriction you know if you've had two felonies you know if you're a felony person you can't carry you're not supposed to carry a gun so why can't we put that into some either a restriction but there's so much pushback anytime oh, yeah. you talk about guns or restricting oh, yeah anyone's ability to have a gun then it's a very sensitive subject i did jury duty and the the person who was on the that we were the guy who's on trial he was in there it's domestic violence he beat up his girlfriend the, the lady that he'd been living with for years he was leaving one day they were high he wanted to borrow her car she i guess told him no he went out the back, got into the car. She caught up to him as he was coming out of the driveway. She jumps, she, she puts, you know, windows down, kind of over the steering wheel. He guns it, drags her down the, she's hanging out the car now, down the driveway. He gets to the bottom of the driveway. Now he's taking a left on the street. She falls off. He runs over her arm and just keeps going. So now, so this is the case that he's here before us. But you know what they got? They've got other incidents of abuse from years before and they're showing us the pictures. I'm thinking about, she's got. You think why hasn't she left? I'm not, not, not really. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking two things in my mind. I'm thinking, A, how is this guy here how is he not in jail? He wasn't, no, right, he wasn't in the orange jumpsuit. He wasn't in custody and then came to trial. He was out. I'm thinking, how does he got two of these? They were from two years ago prior and then three years ago prior. How does he have multiple domestic violence? And we're seeing the pictures of this lady beat up. She's like 63 years old. How is this guy free? That's what I'm thinking. I'm not even thinking about why she won't leave the guy. She wasn't uh, a pensioner, older woman. Who knows? How is this guy out here to do this? How are they showing us these pictures? Because they, they, this, these are the things though that so many times what you've got is a background. He probably was raised in a household that maybe had domestic violence in the background so that his sense of how you handle things so because they're not sure. taught to handle things differently and this is where and going back to our buddy Ron Hain watching what he's doing in in with people that are incarcerated giving them programs that help them to make better decisions so this isn't just a victim type of, a, of an issue we right. need to go after these perpetrators and either determine that a they can be rehabilitated. be rehabilitated but then you've got some that are just they don't care to be rehabilitated so when you've got something like that then they should be doing time in jail but your your jails are so overcrowded at this point that it's like okay you know what we don't have room for this guy but what you should do is have a program there's a program that runs in uh high point north carolina i think it is and what they did was they put the impetus on the 
instead of making the victim the one that has to go to court and making the victim the one that has to prove everything and making the victim the person that has to do all these hoops and things like that, making the perpetrator more accountable. This is the person that should be going to court. This is the person that should be going to classes. This is the person that should be proving that they can be a better person or do something different to not suffer the consequences of their actions or at least change them. So they're looking at it in a different way and that's something that... A more holistic manner. Right. Yeah, so yeah. let's not just focus A, on the victims, you know, which by all means we need to do. We need to offer them the resources, but we also need to offer them the programs that change the way that that they deal with their lives so that they feel better about the decisions that they're making about the people that they bring in. So if we can help them to establish themselves better so that they don't fall prey to these types of situations, that's great, but what we need to do work on both sides. We need to work with these perpetrators to either while they're in jail, so let's say they have a, a, a hold or they have to go to jail for a week. Mm -hmm. Now let's see what kind of a program is available to change the way that they do things. Let's give them a little bit of help too, if it's possible, so that we can change that. So it is, uh, I think, you know, I work on the victim side, but I believe that there needs to be a side-by-side a way to deal with this. There has to be a way that we make these perpetrators either recognize their behaviors or figure out whether they're rehabilitatable or not. You know, right. So, you know, are you going to wind up coming back? Um, what would your advice be to any woman uh, right now who uh, is feeling like she's in a relationship that's abusive or, you know, feel, having those thoughts? Any person. Any person, excuse me. Any person, because what you're getting now is transgender violence. You're right. getting, I mean, so the instances of violence aren't gender related, you know. So anytime that someone is feeling that they've lost their power, because that's what it is. It's your loss of power and control over yourself. So reach out. There are resources out there for you. I mean, it, you can look around and... and and it's great because in Aurora, you see all kinds of programs that are out there and so many of them are free. You know, like in the Thrive Collective, you know, you can sign up for things. So sometimes it's just those little steps. Maybe take a class in something that you are interested in. Mm -hmm. You know, um, look into, you know, what can you do to help yourself. Um, get through this you know uh, uh, there are lots of books like the time's up book you know um there's another one that susan wrote that's called move moving on moving up and that was another one where she's telling people this is what we're going to help you we're going to walk you through the process so that you don't feel like you're doing it alone right you know there are resources out there look um i'm working you know uh, i'm on facebook document the abuse um, I worked up with a lot of different entities. There's a woman named Stand Up Survivor out of Florida, mm -hmm. and she was an abuse victim, and she's always putting things out there. There's so many different uh, avenues for people to go to. Just start going to websites. And old, so many of these domestic violence websites or having to do with things of that nature have an exit 
a quick exit so that people can't follow you. So let's say someone comes in the room, you can quick exit so you right. can get out of there. Ours is set up the same way. You know, at least start writing things down. If, even if you can't do an affidavit because you don't feel comfortable mm -hmm. putting that information, start a journal. Keep it with your friend. You know, that's going to be uh, the next edition is we're going to do a document the abuse journal. So those who don't feel comfortable going all the way through that EAA process mm. can at least start to write these things down in a way that hopefully makes them realize that you're better than this. You deserve better than this. You deserve everything that life has to offer. And no one should impede that. Okay. And that's what... I'm hoping that the work that Document the Abuse does is it helps victims to realize you can get back your power and control. So you got things cooking uh, with our state's attorney and our uh, sheriff. Besides that initiative, which is ongoing, what, what's next for Document Abuse? What's coming up in 2021? Um, we're going to be doing trainings. Okay. I'm going to be uh, uploading that pretty quickly, and I had hoped to do it well before then. Unfortunately, I myself had to deal with COVID, so that took me out of the loop for a few. But we're going to be putting trainings up so that officers and um, people who work in the judicial system, you know, in whatever capacity that you're dealing with victims, we're going to offer a way that you can get trained on presenting the EAA as an option for them to do. Very so cool. we've got this, um, we're, we've got cards actually, I'm out of them right now, they have QR codes. Okay. So that's what we're going to be looking at, you know, so that when a police officer goes on a domestic violence call. So we have jump drives that have the EAA on them that are like little wristbands. Right. So you could do something like that. Or they would be able to hand them this with a QR code. Wouldn't even have any of this information, just this right here and a QR code. So if they shot it, it would take them directly to the website. So that awesome. they could go fill that out. Awesome. So what we're doing is we're starting here, but we're hoping that this is going to be the model that then goes out to all over the United States. I also work with the uh, Q Center for Missing in North Carolina. Okay. And that's where a lot of this work comes from, too, is is working with the Q Center. They're an excellent organization. If you have anyone that's missing in your family, contact the Q Center. Okay. And um, it's Community United Effort. And they can uh, be a great help figuring out what to do, how, how to go about it, who you contact, you know, do you have places that need to be looked? They do it at no charge to the family. They have been a phenomenal resource for missing families for quite a few years, and they're a nonprofit, so they are doing this out of the goodness in their hearts. So they're, you know, we're trying to present as many resources as we can into 2021, right. and carrying this work out to as many places as we can. Um, the show ends on a positive note. Okay. What is your message today for the uh, the people of Aurora? Hang in there. We are a strong city. When they say Aurora strong, mm -hmm. I believe that. There are so many resources here in Aurora, and the community here is so enveloping, and they're really watching out for each other. I just keep the hope. You know, reach out to 
those you may not think need help and ask them. You know, because that's what we're getting is a lot of people, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know what? Make sure they're okay. Right. Are you sure you're okay? Is there anything I can do for you? You know, watch out for those resources. Knock on your neighbor's door if you haven't seen them in a while. All right. We need to look out for each other. I totally, I totally we agree We need to look that. out for each other, and, and I believe that Aurora is just what it says. Aurora's strong. So, on behalf of the Second Largest City's First Daily News Podcast, I appreciate you coming on to the show and talking to us. Thank you this so was a much good, for This was a good interview, and uh, I think we got a lot of good um, information good. out for people, too. Um, so, I'll be definitely happy to share the website. Yes, documentTheAbuse.com. Document yeah. org. Look up evidentiary abuse affidavit. The information's out there. I have a LinkedIn. I have an ins. I have an Instagram. I've got to shout out to the gram. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta do that. I gotta do that. So, but thank you so much for having me. I do really appreciate it. Yeah. Every time I get to talk about this and help people. It warms my heart. Awesome. Uh, well, to all of you listeners and all of you viewers, I hope that you guys have a safe, excellent, great day out there. Stay mm -hmm. warm because it is still kind of snowy out there. And we will see you guys here tomorrow morning for another great episode. Peace. Thanks.